I am someone who has to tell my most embarrassing moments so that I feel better about myself. I don't know what this <laughs> syndrome is, but if I'm the person embarrassing myself and then telling the story, then I'm okay with it. But when someone else does it, I want to saw my face off with a spork. <laughs> Turn your speakers up to 11 because it's time for Too Much Effing Perspective, the podcast that asks musicians and entertainers to relive their most Spinal Tap moments when nothing goes right and everything gets kinda weird. I'm your host, Alan Keller, a comedy writer in LA and lead singer of the least heralded Chicago band, The Falling Walendas. And I'm your co-host, Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead and lead singer of the least heralded Milwaukee band, the Vainglorious. Our guest today is Amit Zappa, a writer, musician, entrepreneur, TV personality, and son of the late, great Frank Zappa. And we're going to talk to Amit about getting to see Elvis Presley's mole. Yes, you heard that right. The time he insulted Salman Rushdie and why Conan O'Brien never asked Amit back to his late night TV show. So without further ado, let's go to the TMEP show. It really puts perspective on things, though, doesn't it? Not yeah. too much. There's well, too much yeah, perspective now. Alex, one of my favorite lyrics ever is from Simon and Garfunkel's hit song, My Little Town. It's when Artie sings, In my little town, I never knew nothing. I was just my father's son. And, you know, that's always resonated with me. My dad, Milton, was this charismatic, hysterically funny guy. And as a child, whenever I was in his presence, I was invisible. Huh. Well, not exactly invisible, but dehumanized, because he and all his friends wouldn't even refer to me as Alan. They would just call me boy. Well, you know, the first time I met your dad, Milton, was over the telephone. And you and I had just become friends. And I honestly can't even remember why I called your parents' house because you'd been out of the house for a decade plus at that point. But anyway, I called him up and he picked up the phone and I said that I wanted to speak with you. And he told me you weren't there and he'd never met me before, but I gave him my name. And then he began to just sort of unprompted go into telling me how you were prone to wearing women's underwear. <laughs> and um, I thought, well... <laughs> You just had that one chance to make a first impression, and he certainly made a strong one on me. Uh, yeah, he was he was one of a kind. <laughs> and thank you for that story, because uh, it made me laugh, and I missed the guy. But um, yeah, I mean, I can only imagine what our guest today, Ahmed Zappa, had to deal with growing up in the shadow of his dad, Frank. And to be honest, I was a little worried about our chat with him, because I... Didn't want to focus too much on his dad. You know, I didn't want to pay short shrift to Amit's accomplishments. Amit had many accomplishments. Well, as it turns out, that was no problem because Amit is his own force of nature. And I mean, we were so lucky because his Spinal Tap moments rival that of any of our guests so far. And, you know, without going into particulars, I just want to say there's an effing story about him at Eric Idle's house. And Eric Idle's from Monty Python, in case you don't know. Yeah. And that story had me laughing myself to sleep. 
I mean, it was unbelievable. There's one part. Of- okay, 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 right. okay. Stop there, Alan. I don't want you to spoil it. I don't want to steal his thunder, but I mean, <laughs> no. I listen. I know you want to tell it, right? Um, all right, all right. Sorry. Let's just get into it. Here's our conversation with Amit. But first, a short break. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. And now a man who, according to his late mother, Gail, was named after an imaginary person the family always had hanging around back when they had no one on the payroll. Amit Zappa. Amit, welcome to the show. This is going to be a real blast. Before we get into your insane anecdotes and life, let's cut to the chase. What is your favorite scene in the movie This Is Spinal Tap? Um, my favorite scene in the movie, this is Spinal Tap. Um, I should have an answer, but I have conflict because there's so much to love (laughs) from that movie. (laughs) I love the stupidity of A, the Stonehenge song, right? But the Cissé nature, because of how large in scope it's supposed to be, you know, am I remembering that correctly when the small Stonehenge kind of comes down? Yes. Because uh, it's been a moment. I've seen the movie a bunch of times, but I'm like, wait, I'm just trying to think through all the songs. Big Bottom is one of my favorite tracks, but I think the visual nature of the Stonehenge moment is awesome. But, you know, the bigger the cushion, the sweeter the pushing. It's the best. That's what I said. That's the genius song for sure. And I don't think we've ever talked about this on the show, but the visual gag of Big Bottom is that Derek Smalls is playing a double neck bass. <laughs> yeah. Right? He's got the redundant yeah. double neck bass. So that's a funny one. And that is certainly the Star Trek. That's their Strawberry Fields Forever. Uh, honestly, the track is a solid karaoke choice as well. You know? <laughs> The looser the waistband, the deeper the quicksand. And so I have read. 
Ja. My baby fits me like a <laughs> flesh tuxedo. I'm gonna sink her with my pink torpedo. Big bottom. And by the way, there's no double entendre in that at all. That's a single entendre. <laughs> Talking about mud flaps. My girl's got them. <laughs> Speaking of it being a karaoke track, my first gig in the music business was working for Cheap Trick. And I remember being in a bar with Robin Zander, Tom Peterson, and their manager, Ken Adamani and Big Bottom came up and we started quoting those lyrics. With those guys, it felt very meta. Just because you mentioned Cheap Trick. So as a kid, Cheap Trick is one of my all-time favorite bands. As is ours, for sure. And I still like playing Matchmaker, but this was a big obsession of mine. So I loved Escape from Witch Mountain and the movie Tough Turf with James Spader. So the actress from Escape from Witch Mountain and from the movie Tough Turf, right? Um, do you watch Housewives ever? So uh, Kyle Richards from Beverly Hills Housewives. So her sister was in those movies. And so as a kid, Kyle would come over to the house and I would be gobsmacked that her sister was a witch and also this hotsy totsy lady that needed to be rescued by James Spader. <laughs> so... <laughs> But I just was a fly on the wall for this conversation about how Kyle's sister was single. And I don't know if you've ever had these kinds of moments as a kid. I was obsessed with the idea that Robin Zander and Kim Richards, the, <laughs> this actress, I was convinced that they should be married, right? <laughs> and that they should be together. Whatever that meant in my seven-year-old, eight-year-old brain, that was the match made in heaven. And it took up <laughs> a lot of my brain power was, how can we make this happen? Um, so yeah, that story had a, a lot of beginning, a lot of middle, barely any ending, and probably <laughs> wasn't worth uh, sharing. But um, that's me. Well, it's like a basketball game, right? No, it's the opposite of a basketball game where nothing matters until the last three minutes. Yours, the run-up was great. Kind of, yeah, <laughs> yeah. kind of fizzled. <laughs> well, I used to mate different wacky packs. Oh, boy. Tell me more about that, because I love me some wacky packs. What are wacky packs? They're these sort of a parody of brands. You know, so you'd have like Crest or Bazooka Gum, and they would give it some sort of gross name. Okay. Now that you mention it, I remember that. In fact, a kid in my neighborhood had the most coveted wacky pack according to the legend that he created around it. it was a cover girl spoof that was cover ghoul oh. it had a witch's face on it as opposed to a you know a model yeah that's a throwback speaking of wacky packs which have some collector value you had a interesting show where you were the host called Rock My Collection. Yeah. And I know that there are some, we could call Spinal Tap items. Oh, yeah. We had some very nice woman who some might think that she was banana fish. I'm not <laughs> saying I thought that she was <laughs> banana fish, but she had one of Elvis's moles in a, like a beaker. Ooh. Hmm. I don't know why you'd, you'd want that. A hunk of hunk of burning mole. <laughs> Something like that. And now with the power of AI and cellular regeneration, maybe we can grow a new Elvis. Wow. I guess that's good. 
if it's real. Didn't they just revivify a 46,000-year-old worm? Yeah. Yeah. How hard can Elvis be then? They can do a 40,000-year-old worm. (laughs) By the way, I'm, I'm not afraid of many things, but I am actually afraid of you know, the little parasitic worms that are crawling all over our skin, in our eyebrows right now, and in our colon. Any zoomed-in picture on those kinds of items is terrifying to me. What about Dennis Rodman? Because his nickname's The Worm. Does that frighten you as well? No, because Dennis Rodman, he's a whole other kettle of fish. I mean, (laughs) I'm sure he's got a weird collection of, you know, like... If Elvis had a dildo, allegedly, he would probably be the guy who would have collected like the rhinestoned out dildo from Elvis Presley. And you know who he got it from? Nicolas Cage. Probably. Yeah. Uh, Tiny Elvis, Nicolas Cage. Um, But uh, you asked me earlier, so Rock My Collection is a show where people bring on their memorabilia and we would try to give context to it. And we would help them in answering its authenticity and then giving them a price range of what they could expect in the open market. You know, I had to do a lot of that stuff when we make product for the family business, right? Where you're like an archeologist when we're putting together a box set where we want to find the right time specific photographs. You know, let's say my dad was in the studio. Do we search from other sources from that time period? Are they in our vaults? What are some of the extra audio elements that we might include? Uh, can we find someone who is there that can write the liner notes? Are there artifacts that we know that were purchased or used at that time? And all of that becomes some sort of creative exercise when we are putting together product and stuff. And it's fun when you talk with other musicians and the stuff that they care about, the stuff that they held on to, like a backstage pass or a set list or things that they have that they're holding on to that they probably would just throw away because they take up space. But to someone else, it's super meaningful. And there's cool ways of getting memorabilia into the right hands where people can have a conversation and feel a deeper connection to the bands that they love. So interesting. I am a collector of other random stuff. Like I love Corgi cars. You know, lots of people had matchbox cars and those are cool too. But I I always Hmm. thought that the Corgi cars out of the UK, the die-cast cars that are way cooler. They had like the Hulk van, (laughs) the Spider-Man mobile, the Shazam race car and stuff like that. The Batmobile, right? You know, from the 60s Adam West TV series, they kind of made the best version of those die-cast cars. I remember when I was a kid, I had a Batman tool belt. Like I'm talking 69, 70. Yeah. And it didn't work at all, but it was so damn cool. And I had this James Bond attache case. It had a gun inside that didn't work, but you could load the gun and push a button on the outside of the attache case and it would shoot like a 90-year-old prostate. You know, the thing would just come out no velocity at all. (laughs) I'm not familiar with this level of sexuality that you're describing right now. Let me just say, I got to take my pills (laughs) like four hours in advance of going to the bathroom. Um, 
<laughs> but aside from that, something you said is interesting is that some people's treasure is some people's garbage, right? And yeah. I have a friend, Shane Salaski. He engineered my last album. He has a studio out in, um, what the hell is that? Um, ba- uh, ba- what's, uh, it's whatever. Just make up a name. It's uh, cool. Babcock, Babcock Lake. That's not what it is. Yeah, Babcock Lake. By the way, Thank beautiful you. homes, great studios. Uh, <laughs> a lot of musicians live out there. Everyone's yeah. going there. Everyone's going to Babcock Lake. Um <laughs> Anyway, so he was- Nashville? Um, Not so much. Babcock Lake? <laughs> I never heard of Nashville, but Babcock Lake, that's <laughs> top of mind. Um, oh, but anyway, so Shane was in a band with some of the Gibbs sons in Miami. He told a story on one of our TMEP show QTs. Quick taps, our quick tap episodes. Uh, but anyway, so Shane was a bassist in a band with Spencer Gibb, who's Robin's son. Mm-hmm. And I guess they were recording at Barry's studio there, and you couldn't smoke or drink in the studio. You had to go out to the cage where all the amps were. So uh, Shane goes out there, and he immediately sees this pristine Vox amp from the 60s. He goes, this was a museum piece. And I looked at it, and I tripped, and I, <laughs> I spilled a beer on it, in it, over it. I can't even <laughs> explain how much beer got on this amp from one can. And so yeah. he said to Spencer, oh man, look, I just dropped this on this amp. He goes, oh, that was Johnny's amp. And Shane thought that was Johnny, the anal retentive head of the studio. Studio manager. Studio manager, thank you. And so he goes, oh shit, he's going to kill me. And he goes, no, no, not that Johnny. Johnny Lennon. That's what he played at Candlestick Park. Wow. Oh boy. And he goes, oops, there's a couple million dollars off the value of that amp. But that's a good feeling. <laughs> that's a great feeling. And then there was that guitar hanging there and Shane asked, let's write some songs. Can I use this? He goes, yeah, that's what Eric Clapton used to write Layla on. And he proceeded to break the headstock. But what was the most interesting part of this entire- Is he the music gooch? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? He's the music gooch. Just don't invite Shane Solosky anywhere near any of your artifacts, right? And certainly not on your show, Rock the Collection. But the funny thing was that the Gibbs- they took it in stride. I mean, these were not artifacts. Like Spencer used to play this purple amp and he would leave it at gigs and never pay attention to it. Well, later Shane found out that was Jimi Hendrix amp. So these are their friends stuff that they gave them. Like John Lennon gave Barry this amp. And so it was a friend's thing. It's not like this museum piece. So they never were mad at him. Yeah. That is all fucked up. I hate everything that you just said for the last five minutes. It's giving me such anxiety. (laughs) And stress. <laughs> One of my partners, who shall remain nameless, was holding Freddie Mercury's microphone from the Live Aid performance. Oh, wow. You know, people were like, it's here, this incredible artifact. <laughs> and he, he puts it in his hands and he promptly drops it, <laughs> dents the <laughs> microphone. And, you know, oh, no. what the hell do you do in that situation? It's a horrible. It's horrible. Bowie. 
Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. I was at a party at Eric Idle's house. And, um, you know, Eric's a musician, comedian. Uh, if people don't know who he is, he's a member of Monty Python and created some of the funniest things of all time. And I was newly dating my wife. And, you know, we were probably a couple weeks in. And, you know, excited to go to Eric's house. I'd never been before. So we got there. We were the first ones there. And I'm like, Eric, this is Shana. And he says, nice to meet you and walks us into his lovely home. And I said, who else is coming tonight? So he mentions a few people that are coming. And I kind of make a joke, truly, out of left field. I go, oh, let me guess. Salman Rushdie is coming to dinner. <laughs> and he's like, well, actually, yeah. <laughs> right, and because I made a joke about my name Amit being Taliban chic, and he's like, "Some <laughs> will think that that's funny," and uh, I was like, "Okay, this is going to be an interesting night." So we're hanging out. Uh, do you guys know this music producer Peter Asher? Oh, of course. Okay, so Peter Asher is also there, and it was a small dinner party. Think of like the letter C. So three big comfy couches lined up like a C, right? And in the negative space between the top of the C and the bottom of the C, like where the arms of the couches would kind of meet, there were two little chairs. So I was sitting in one of the chairs and my girlfriend was sitting to my right and the other two people on the couch were my mother and my little sister. And on the couch next to me was Salman Rushdie. And he's with this super hotsy totsy woman. And I was like, who's this supermodel that he's with? And like, I don't know when he separated from Padma, whatever his ex-wife is, but you know. Who's a supermodel in her own right. Yeah. Very beautiful women. And, you know, I'm like, Salman Rushdie, man, this guy clearly has got this incredible mind. He has written some pretty provocative stuff. 
as anyone who's listening to this can look it up, the guy has uh, gotten into some pretty gnarly situations. This evening was probably one of his least favorite moments. Uh, <laughs> it's all my fault. So I shouldn't actually shouldn't be telling the story, but I am. So he walks in, and I'm staring at this girl, and she's very, very pretty. And she sits next to me. So I'm in between two incredibly beautiful women, my girlfriend, and this girl, Amy is her name. And Amy is wearing these skin-tight pants, these like Roman sandals, open-toed sandals. And I keep staring at her feet. And and as we're hanging in Eric's living room, someone mentions the books that they're reading, right? So it's conversation I can't participate in. I mean, it just feels like it's above my intelligence level as to what everyone's talking about. And somehow they get into Steve Martin's new autobiography. And there's some moment where Steven's father, he was on his deathbed, was like, when are you going to get a real job? Right? I guess didn't appreciate Steve's comedic genius. Okay. So, you know, Eric and his wife are like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Peter Asher and his wife are like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, my little sister and my mother are like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Amy says, I totally relate because when I was winning gold medals, my dad was like, when are you going to get a real job? So now huh. I'm like, who the fuck is this Olympian gold medal winning supermodel, right? And again, very attractive woman. And uh, I say to her, Amy, because now I'm extra curious, I'm like, hey, your toenail polish matches my girlfriend's fingernail polish. <laughs> and my girlfriend is like, you are flirting and this is super lame. She's like, uh, yeah. My girlfriend holds her hand down next to Amy's toes and everyone's looking at me. They can all hear me. And I go, I got to tell you something. Your feet are perfect, right? And she's like, "Uh, thank you. But it's getting like weird in the room. And I go, don't take this the wrong way. But it's like you have vampire feet. And there's a gasp. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. I'm not trying to be insulting. It's like her feet are like made out of porcelain. They're fucking perfect. They're like creature feet. And people... (laughs) want to fucking kill me at this point. And I really don't understand why, right? (laughs) So her name is Amy Mullins. She is a double amputee and her legs uh, from the knee down are prosthetic legs. And she explains this to me. She's a Paralympian and I don't believe her. So I knock on her legs. Oh my goodness. To try to prove that she's messing with me. And sure enough, I'm a total dipshit. And they were real. She was not making it up. And I then kept turning myself inside out by just digging a deeper hole. And uh, she was really kind, you know, and said that her feet were actually modeled after Elle McPherson's legs. Not Elle McPherson's legs, the legs on Elle McPherson's table. (laughs) No, Elle McPherson's feet and legs. You know, I guess it's a thing. I don't know. Amazing. So as she's talking about different sets of legs for different heights for different occasions, I found that to be kind of fascinating. 
And I guess this was the straw that broke the camel's back because I said, I kind of relate because I was obsessed with stilts as a child, right? <laughs> and people are just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I thought I was adding to the conversation. But this is one of my most embarrassing moments. Truly, 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 uh, truly. Because I, I was never asked back to Eric's house. I made no good impressions with Salman Rushdie or Peter Asher and his wife and all that stuff. And uh, thank goodness my wife stayed with me. But it, yeah, that's one of my embarrassing stories. Yeah. Ahmed, I think you and I are two people that probably should never be at the same party. <laughs> and because you were very brave and told that incredibly humiliating story, and I'm your host, mm -hmm. I feel obligated to tell my own horrible story so that you don't look <laughs> so bad. Okay? So yeah. this is a story from decades ago. I was in my 20s, and I was far less mature, hopefully, than I am today. And I was at my sister's sister-in-law's wedding. Oh, yeah. I made some mistakes at my sister's wedding, too. A, a really good opportunity to make an ass of yourself. So I'm at this table, and there are these two brothers, Mike and Todd, cousins of hers that I don't really like. And Todd, in particular, was very obnoxious. And I remember he said something. I don't know what it was, but it triggered me. And I said to him, Todd, why do you have to be like that? Why can't you be nice and polite like your brother Mike here instead of acting like your pig sister Jill? Whoa. Now- I only knew they had a sister named Jill. I didn't know who she was. And I certainly wouldn't have said that had I known who she was because she was sitting right next to me. Oh, I didn't no. know that. I don't know why I said this, but everyone left the table. Everyone left the table. And I was like, okay, why did I say that? Wow. But um, yeah. That's that's like, uh, were you hammered? Because that's a level of douchebaggery. You know, it's good that everyone got up from the table. That's a super fucking awful, awful thing. I was paid back years and years later. I went to my nephew's wedding, same family, and I had written this beautiful speech for his mm -hmm. wedding. And right before I'm about to go up, he comes over. He goes, you can't talk pig at my sister. wedding. You it's called pig sister. They still remember that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're not even going to get into what Alan did at the Jeff Buckley tribute. Okay, oh, yeah, that's I don't a whole talk, different. I don't that, have to hear about that. That's for episode. That's for two. another episode. I hope that you made amends because that's tough. There, by the way, there there is no coming back if you've insulted a family. How do you come back from pig sister? I thought I had embarrassed myself, but that's like no one's going to forget that because I think I made an honest mistake. I did make an honest mistake knocking on vampire legs. Okay. And you are just a dick. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm not going to defend what I said, nor will I try to explain it. Cause I really don't know why I said it myself, but come on. You insulted a guy who had a fatwa against him. Give me a break. Well, why did you say pig sister? And I said, I'm not going to try to defend the indefensible. What I said wasn't funny. It wasn't clever. It made no sense. It was just weird. I admit it. It was a bad thing to say. Yes, indeed. Do you have friends? Do you have any friends? I'm his friend. Yeah. We are friends. Thank you for owning up to it. But aren't you work colleagues at this point? I mean, just doing this podcast. I mean, really? You don't even live in the same city. I, I mean. We went to Czechoslovakia together and had very harrowing experiences. <laughs> so we are bonded in experience. Okay. 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 Right. Did you have that moment where you're like, oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. And instantly. I could feel my face go like this. <sighs> you know, like the snappy Tom tomato guy. It's a really terrible feeling, actually. It Being is a terrible feeling. It's horrible. Yeah. But I did insult the lead singer from Matchbox 20 at my sister's wedding. <laughs> Rob Thomas? Yeah. 
And in full disclosure, I say asshole-like things about this band a lot. And if I'm being really honest, I just went to their show in Nashville. It was killer. They were awesome. So at, at one point, my sister was married to Paul Doucette. They're no longer together, but they were together for a long time. And they had a child, and it's still family. But um, there's that moment in some weddings where they're like, if there's anyone here who feels like <laughs> this couple shouldn't be married, I got up on oh, the microphone no. and was like, uh, yeah, you're in Matchbox 20. <laughs> And I'm staring at Rob, you know, and they, they were good sports about it. But um, were they? That is such a great line, though, though. It's like Zappa, Matchbox 20. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> as far as I didn't clear the room. It's not okay. <laughs> well, that is a great one. So you and your brother Dweezil were both on the first season of Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Yeah. And I think the very first time you were on, you did this incredible impersonation of Tom Jones. Thank you. My spirit animal, Tom. <laughs> doing What's New Pussycat. And mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I saw it live when it happened. And I was really just blown away. You got up there with Max Weinberg's band. It looked like it was unplanned. And sang this song, and I just thought, you know, what an incredibly spontaneous and uninhibited <laughs> performer. And I understand that even better now yeah, right. talking <laughs> to you. So I wonder, like, what Spinal Tap moments came out of that? Uh, there was a good Spinal Tap moment. What would happen on the show is they'd say, hey, what are you guys going to talk about? They'd do a pre-interview, and honestly, it would be a little stressful. And I'm not this way anymore, but certainly in my 20s, if I'm nervous— I become like a heightened state. I will do weird things. So I think I was kind of known for controlled chaos to some extent. So they'd say like, what do you guys want to do? We'd do an interview. And I said, hey, if you want me to sing a song, I'll, I was currently listening to a lot of Tom Jones and I'll do this track, right? And show some of my dancing or something. Um, and I don't <laughs> know how that really kind of happened. Uh, but we did a rehearsal of it, and they thought it was funny, mm -hmm. and so it worked out. Can you do what's your pussy cat? Let's do it, guys, guys. Go, go on, let's go. What's your pussy cat? Whoa, whoa. What's your pussy cat? We were invited back on a night that Kenny Rogers was on Conan, and I'm sure you can find this on YouTube or somewhere. And I had just met. Kenny Rogers at the White House. <laughs> wow. And I went out of my way past Secret Service. Um, I won't give you all the details as to like what was happening, but the then president and vice president and their significant others were coming down the hallway. So they had cordoned off on either side to everyone could like wave at them as they're walking through the, the White House. And uh, I forget what part of the White House I was in. And I went under the velvet ropes and I dragged my brother and my little sister. I'm like, Kenny Rogers, the gambler's over there. I have to go say hello. <laughs> I love him. And I race over there and I'm like, you don't know me. Hi. And I introduced myself. I'm Ahmed. This is my brother, Dweezil. This is my little sister, Diva. 
And he is like, oh, hey, yeah. And he starts telling this story about how he actually liked our dad's music. And, you know, he's telling us how he got married in a barn and about his chicken or something like that, roaster's chicken. And it just struck me as so odd because as he was talking about loving Frank's music, he then, I guess the way that he was really just leaning in, he's like, I'm a huge fan. Please tell him I said hi. And my dad had died, Mm. you know? So like, this is the thing in your twenties. I think I was really immature. And so uh, I think we all walked away and had a giggle. You know, for some reason in my head, I was like, he should have known that my dad (laughs) passed. If he was such a fan, it's just like this, I don't know, it's fucking stuck in my head. So when I knew that he was going to be on Conan, I was like, I want to try to do a duet with Kenny. And in my head, it was some sort of comedic payback or something. I I don't know. But if you go back and watch this performance, I rehearsed the song completely straight. We ran through it and he changed the key. It wasn't like how I remembered it in my head. And I kept singing out a key and he was such a professional helping me figure out the parts and all that. And it, he's super nice, you know, and it was good to see him again. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, he has no idea what's coming. And <laughs> so I had convinced the Conan staff. I'm like, go get me Kenny Rogers wig. And I'm going to become <laughs> like demon Kenny on the show. And you know, they have the cue cards and I had no intention of ever, no, I don't even know the lyrics to Lady. So I was like, okay, I'll just make up whatever I'm going to make up. I'll sing about his chicken. <laughs> so oh it's such an asshole move. <laughs> so Kenny's on the couch and we come out and they're hiding this wig behind the couch. And I, like the TV show Manimal, decide to transform into Kenny Rogers. And I jump behind the couch. I'm making fucking knocking shit over, whatever. I put on this Kenny Rogers wig and I make Conan refer to me for the rest of the interview as Kenny Rogers. And I make Kenny feel super uncomfortable. (laughs) Okay. I think it's funny at his own expense. This is like, I'm an asshole. And this is how much of a professional he is. So it comes time to do the music. And as we're walking over, if you actually watch the video, he's such a pro. He leans in. And he's like, and gives me the note, even though I've just been fucking a nightmare to him. And then we do the performance and I wind up grinding on him like a stripper and doing like the craziest shit and like looking into the camera and, and like putting my thumb across my throat and like whispering, you're dead, you know, and I'm just singing about his chicken. And so Kenny was like, I'll never do this show again because you guys set me up and that was fucked. Right. At least that's the feedback I got. And I regret that because I didn't want to create something where the guy hated me. I hope he had a laugh about it. It happened to be one of the highest rated moments at the time, Conan's history. Uh, So people seemed to enjoy it and uh, never got to see Kenny afterwards to apologize for maligning his chicken and ruining a great song. I mean, you have a new show, right? Rock Tales with Ahmed Zappa. 
We were on Sirius for a few years on this channel volume, which is no longer on Sirius. Super bummer. My friend Roger Coletti uh, was a brainchild of his and one of the only channels in that organization that was really kind of devoted to having just conversations around music, right? Ours was a show where we just happened to get really drunk and talk about music, and it just goes off the rails really quickly. So we are just now starting it up on a little platform called YouTube. Have you guys heard of it? Apparently, people like it. Yeah. So, yes. You can find us at Rocktails Radio and all the socials, and we do a show live at 5. And we're in the process of building out a new little podcast studio, which is pretty fun. When you're in L.A., we can form a super group and play some music as well. Alan, you're, you can come on over anytime. Okay. And, uh, yeah, we can make some noise and make some bad decisions together. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Well, thanks for being with us. Thank you, guys. This was so much fun. It was. Let's do it again. Listeners, I think that in Amit Zappa, Alan has finally met his match in terms of the unique ability to silence a crowd. It's truly a gift. Thanks to Amit for sharing his remarkable stories. It's healthy to laugh that much during a conversation and a joy to have it documented for posterior. Special thanks to John Martin from Cream Magazine for helping us to make the connection. Too Much Effing Perspective is a Milwaukee Talkies original. Our editor is Gretchen Kilby. Our music composer is J.K. Harrison. Please follow us on Instagram at TMEP Show and find our other episodes with rock stars and entertainers airing out their Spinal Tap moments wherever you listen to podcasts. Although it would be as great as having armadillos in our trousers, this podcast is not affiliated with This Is Spinal Tap and no person or entity connected with the film has sponsored or endorsed its content. This podcast is not affiliated, sponsored, or licensed by Authorized Spinal Tap LLC or Century of Progress Productions. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I do like the shadows. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Evergreen Podcast Network.